the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic's Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Folks, welcome again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour here on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Uh, We gather like this every weekend. Uh, and uh, Alan Dempsey makes it all work. He's our engineer. Uh, Andrew Herdliska is our producer. And Andrea Rayner joins us uh, in this first segment. United Methodist minister, hospice spiritual counselor, served as a chaplain to the morgue at Ground Zero. Uh, she's in Rye, New York, and uh, we've got her. Andrea, thanks for joining me. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. I'm just fine. Probably not as warm as you are down there in Florida, but I'm, I'm doing great. Thank you. Well, that's terrific, Andrea. Can you reflect back to uh, uh, Ground Zero and your experiences there? Sure. Yeah, that um, was obviously a time in history that none of us who were alive will, re- will forget. Um, I was serving at the time as a hospice chaplain in Westchester County, New York, and when the event happened, of course, we all expect there were going to be injured and wounded coming into our hospitals, and of course, no one, no one came. So I was um, asked to serve a, my first stint down there, a, a midnight to 7 a.m. shift, by an Episcopal bishop who was the uh, chaplain to the armed forces at the time. So that began my work, um, which then soon translated into being a chaplain to the morgue on site. And so I was on hand um, doing eight-hour shifts, you know, followed by other clergy members to offer blessings on remains. And it was a very sacred time, and I think a time that um, few people knew about, that every part of every person received a blessing at Ground Zero. Your new book is out, uh, The Alphabet of Grief. Why was it important to do this book? Well, The Alphabet of Grief was uh, was really an, um, an expression of both my own grieving process, um, having lost my father recently, and also as an expression of what I was learning as a facilitator in the bereavement groups at Greenwich Hospital. And what I was hearing from uh, those who were grieving who attended my groups was that they were having a hard time finding something on grief that was accessible for them, especially right in the beginning of grief. It's very hard to read, um, say, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's brilliant book, but it, it's very dense, and and you, sometimes our attention span is not great when we're grieving. So I thought of just putting together a very um, accessible, simple uh, book where you can kind of pick and choose, and I, I use letters of the alphabet just as like little guidelines. So if someone is feeling particularly lonely, they can turn to the L chapter on loneliness, or if they're feeling joyful for whatever reason, there's a chapter on joy. So I, I, I was both processing my own losses as well as intending to help those who are grieving themselves. Well, I think it would be nice, Andrea, if we, uh, we started at A, the mm-hmm. word is absence yep. in your book. Uh, fill us in on absence. Well, in the absence um, chapter, you know, that is, that's one of the, the first and, and most profound feelings when someone is grieving is, is simply the absence of the one that they love. And I was thinking a lot about my mom after my dad's death. It was rather sudden, and I kept picturing her sitting kind of alone at the table. And I, I tried to contemplate what might help her, what might speak to her while she's feeling not the presence of my dad, but the absence of my dad. So um, in the absence chapter, I, I, I sort of encourage those who are grieving to, to yes, our loved ones are, 
are physically absent, but we can also feel their presence in a spiritual way, just as, you know, we can feel the presence of God even though we can't see God. And so um, the absence chapter is, is really about acknowledging the loss, but also striving and aspiring to feel the presence, um, the ongoing love of our loved ones, uh, even as we are sitting at our kitchen tables. Uh, the next word is bereavement. Yep. Yeah, the, I you know I, I used um, the B chapter for bereavement because a lot of people think of bereavement as kind of a set time, a set time period where um, you know they are going to grieve for three months, six months, a year, and um, should be over the loss. Or maybe others who are around them think that they should be already over the loss of their loved ones. And bereavement really isn't a set period. There's no um, hard and fast time that we feel like we should be doing better or should be, quote-unquote, over it by now. And so I I use that chapter just to gently kind of let people off the hook, that we don't get graded on our grief, and that uh, bereavement is, it can be for a very long period of time, and we we do tend to get our sea legs on a little bit, but, um, but to just be gentle with ourselves and with others who are grieving. Uh, the C word is crying. Yeah, crying is so difficult. Um, it's hard to do in public, but many who have lost a loved one say, you know, I'm in the grocery store and I, you know, some dumb music came on. I just burst into tears or I was walking down the street and for no reason I started crying. Or, you know, I started crying talking to a friend and I felt like she couldn't really she couldn't deal with that. So the crying chapter is really just to acknowledge that those tears are holy. Tears do come. There's no shame in crying. But but the other flip side of that is that we we are less likely to feel the presence of our loved ones when we're in the deepest throes of our tears. Um, and I, I believe it was C.S. Lewis who said that we can't see clearly when our eyes are dimmed with tears. So, again, you know, I acknowledge both the, um, of course, the expression of our tears, but also not being afraid to let the tears subside. That that doesn't mean, our grief doesn't mean, our tears don't mean that we are keeping our loved ones closer. It, it's, we keep that blade of grief close sometimes because we're afraid if we stop crying, we've let them go, and that's simply not the case. Why is D stand for dinner? Well, the D is for dinner because, again, in my groups and in my own experience, um, people often tell me that dinner time or meal times are often the most painful, um, particularly for people who've lost um, a spouse. You know, that kind of table for one is so painful. And so often people who are grieving, um, they're not eating well. They avoid the dinner table. Um, people who are wonderful cooks don't feel like cooking. They they can't bear to look at that table for one. So um, just to lift up and acknowledge that that dinner time, which is often a shared time, is so painful. Um, but again, you know, it can also be filled with our happy memories. But I think I, I chose it just to acknowledge that that it is a very difficult time of the day. Now, I want you to get into this topic. Yeah. Everyone else. That's E. Yeah, the everyone else is, um, this I learned both from my father when he lost his mother when he was nine years old, and feeling like everyone else, all the other boys are going about their lives when um, he was, he had lost his mom. He was on his way to her burial, and he saw his playmates out there and on an August day, you know, playing ball and thinking everyone else has this life that is ongoing, but his has stopped. And I remembered that when I was with um, the body of a young boy who had died. He was 19. And, um, you know, everyone else seemed to be carrying on the nurses at the nursing station and people um, coming and going in the hospital. And so sometimes we, when something terrible happens, we feel separated from everyone else. And everyone else doesn't want to be part of our sorrow. So, again, to acknowledge that um, that we we're not... We should be part of everyone, because at some point, if we risk loving, we will risk losing someone, and to be with one another in our sorrow as well as our joy. Andrea Rayner is our guest, United Methodist minister and 
hospice spiritual counselor, <laughs> served as a chaplain to the morgue at Ground Zero, and her new book is out. It is called The Alphabet of Grief, Words to Help in Times of Sorrow. And when we come back, uh, Andrea is going to fill us in on the word forever. That's next. And then other interesting words are ghosts and home and isolation and joy, kinship, loneliness, moving on. So stay with us for more with uh, Andrea Rayner. Uh, I'm Pat Williams, your host for the Saturday Power Hour. And you're listening to 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word, in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Forever My Girl is a modern-day prodigal son story. Country music star Liam Page never got over Josie, his one true love he left at the altar. But when he returns to his hometown years later, he's faced with the consequences of all he left behind. Why'd you leave my mama? I was young. I got lost. But you found your way back now, right? Find your way back home in the film NBC Raves will make you laugh, cry, and fall in love. Forever My Girl. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Now playing. It's long, over a thousand chapters, over 30,000 verses. No wonder so many of us have never read it cover to cover. Want to do it? Want to read the entire Bible? Start today at BibleStudyTools.com. BibleStudyTools.com includes Bible in a Year, an interactive plan for reading, learning, and understanding the Bible. Deepen your faith and impact your walk with God, one day at a time. Bible in a Year, just one of the new interactive Bible study tools at BibleStudyTools.com. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Christian Faith Publishing helps thousands of authors just like you publish their books with a company dedicated to strong Christian values. To help you get started, we want to send you our free author submission kit. Christian Faith Publishing reviews every book submitted to us. And if your book is approved, we'll edit, design, copyright, protect, print, and distribute your book online and in bookstores everywhere. Imagine seeing your book in specialty Christian bookstores, Amazon, iTunes, Barnes & Noble, and many others. It could happen. And it all starts with one call to Christian Faith Publishing at 800-566-1012 for your free author submission kit. If you have a novel, children's book, poetry, biography, or any inspirational work you've written, we can help you get it published today. Shouldn't you work with a publisher who shares your Christian values of integrity and honesty? You can get your book published. So call for your free author submission kit right now. Call 800-566-1012. That's 800-566-1012. 800-566-1012. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Andrea Rayner is our guest from Rye, New York. Her book, The Alphabet of Grief. Uh, The word uh, next is forever, Andrea. Yeah, you know, forever is such a daunting concept. When, When someone we love dies, all of a sudden uh, we're looking into this abyss almost of forever. It feels like, you know, it will be forever when we see someone. We think it'll it'll be never that we will never, ever have our loved one with us. And so, you know, I in the book, I, I try to acknowledge with each word the, the pain of feeling that it will be forever. And also, the there's always a flip side. There's always another way of looking at our loss. And, um, and the flip side of forever is always. We will always have the love that we have known. We will always have the hope that we will one day see our loved ones again, um, you know, on the other side. And so, again, to encourage those who are grieving that um, that the other part of this forever that we that we are experiencing is is always, and it's that eternity, and it's that both the things that we have shared with our loved ones and the hope that we will one day be reunited with them again. Uh, The G word is ghosts. Yes. Well, I had some fun, in a way, with the um, the concept of ghosts, because... um, People who uh, uh, who are faithful, people of, of you know certainly Christian faith and and some other faiths, feel like maybe they are not allowed to believe in um, 
in maybe an intersection with those who have died. But what I find when I'm doing bereavement groups and having people sit around the table, stories will start with something like, you all might think I'm crazy, but dot, dot, dot. And there's this feeling of having been visited by a loved one. And so I, I just lift up this concept of ghosts um, more, more as an angelic way of thinking perhaps it is possible that uh, the veil between this world and the next um, is permeable and that God comes to us and perhaps our loved ones also uh, come to us in, in ways that offer us comfort and hope. Uh, the H word is home. Yes, um, home. <laughs> that um, home is never quite the same after you lose a loved one, whether you are living with the person who has died or maybe you are, you know, you're, you're missing a child who's, who's gone on and, and grown up, but your home never feels quite the same, whether you're waiting for someone to walk through the door or you're waiting for the telephone to ring. So, again, I, I kind of go through the rooms. You know, sometimes the bedroom of a child can uh, just be so painful to pass by, or even, you know, a bedroom when you've lost your spouse of 50 years can feel so isolating and, and lonely. So, again, I... I, I acknowledge that in the book, but also kind of lift up the fact that um, we we can find a sense of home in, in other ways. Our home, again, is filled with those happy memories. We can invite others into our home to expand those walls and to share the love in a, in a new way. Now, Andrea, yeah. uh, isolation. Yeah, when we, when we have lost a loved one, Sometimes our grief can create almost a moat around us. In the beginning, um, you know, loved ones, colleagues, you know, may give us about 30 days. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then they would like us to be, you know, back to our old selves. So um, we can feel isolated both because the telephone stops ringing and cards stop coming and the people stop knocking at the door. And then we can also begin to isolate ourselves when we're grieving. So I encourage those who are grieving to both pick up the phone when um, when someone's calling to reach out and also not to be afraid to reach out themselves because as unfair as it sounds, sometimes um, the burden is on the bereaved to make the first move, to let their friends and family know, hey, you know, I, I would like some company. I would like to you know, share a dinner or a night out with you. So isolation is just acknowledging that um, we can both isolate ourselves and other well-meaning people can make us feel isolated because they stop knocking. Now, let's go to the topic of joy. Yeah. This is so important because when we have lost someone dear to us, it is very common to feel we will never experience joy again. Uh, My own mother... The first, um, certainly, year or two of her grief felt like, I don't think I will ever be happy again. My joy is gone. And that is such a scary concept. And, it, you know, grief takes up so much space in our hearts that it often leaves, you know, very little room for, for joy. And the other part of that is sometimes when someone does feel happy, they have a flicker of happiness. There might be some guilt associated with that. Oh, if I'm happy... Again, does that mean that I'm over it? Of course it doesn't. Or if someone sees me smiling in public, will they think I'm over the loss of my loved one? So to give ourselves permission to feel joy, we will also give ourselves permission to feel the presence of our loved ones because they don't exist in a place of sorrow anymore. They exist now in joy. And if we allow ourselves to feel joyful, we may actually feel the comfort of that presence. Andrea, tell us about the K word, kinship. Well, with kinship, I was actually really thinking about um, initially a fireman who had also worked um, at Ground Zero. And sometimes when you've had a similar experience, for me it was offering blessings on remains. For him it was searching for friends and colleagues beneath the rubble. One look um, in the eyes can make you feel connected because you feel like there might be someone in the world who knows a thimbleful of what you've experienced. I find this in groups, um, particularly with families maybe who've lost a child. There, Of course, you don't want anyone else to have that terrible experience, but there is a feeling of kinship, of um, 
of knowing and of company with others who've known a similar loss. You know, again, you don't, you don't, you wouldn't wish that kind of a loss on anyone. But when we allow ourselves to connect on a deep level with others who are grieving in that same way, we open ourselves up to um, to community and connection. I want you to talk about the L word called loneliness. Well, loneliness is probably the most daunting um, topic for me as a bereavement group facilitator and, and for me who offers comfort for those who are grieving because, you know, it's very intimidating. When someone says to me, I am so lonely, it, it literally renders me silent, and I've been doing hospice for 20 years. Um, and the the only way to really counter that sense of loneliness, in, in my experience, is to start to be open for all of the ways. Um, again, you know, as a as a Christian person, I, this is this is my advice: is to be open to the ways that God is coming to us in our times of loneliness. God is walking with us in those valleys of the shadow of darkness, and um, I do believe that God comes to us in so many different ways to try to um, ease us and to accompany us in our loneliness, that we're never truly alone, even though we can miss the one we love so much. We're, we're never alone because God is always with us. He never leaves us alone, and that sometimes God's sending us people and help in surprising ways. So just to kind of reach for the hand of God, God, in whatever way that comes, will help us in our loneliness. And also reaching for someone else, sometimes coming out of our own sense of loss and helping someone else is also a way to ease us in our loneliness. Now talk about moving on. Well, you know, if you have suffered a loss, almost everyone I know um, said at some point, some well-meaning friend will say, isn't it time that you moved on? Isn't it time that you got over this loss or reached a new place. And um, in speaking with a, uh, a mom who lost her child in the terrible Sandy Hook shooting in Connecticut, uh, we were talking about this concept of moving on and how does one ever move on from a, that kind of a loss. And instead, this concept, as I thought about it, what came to me is that we don't ever move on from our loved one's death. We don't leave them in the rearview mirror. Instead, we learn to live on. We live on with them in our hearts, knowing that they're not behind us. They've simply gone on ahead of us. So if we could incorporate this idea of living on, yes, with our loss, but also with that hope and that loving presence of, um, of the ones that we're missing. We live on with them. We bring them with us into our present life by our stories and our memories and the um, things we pass on to future generations, then that'll help us uh, in our grief. Uh, now, uh, let's talk about night. Well, night is um, a very difficult time uh, for uh, the newly bereaved in particular. Um, the darkness can really seem to swallow us up, like Jonah in the belly of the whale. And, um, you know, there, there are people who tell me that, you know, I don't, I don't want to go to bed because, you know, as soon as I turn out the light, I, I just feel so alone or I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to have bad dreams or I want to dream about my loved one, but they never come. So night is, is challenging because um, for those who've lost their, their spouse or their partner, they, they feel, you know, the bed is too big and they don't know which side of the bed to sleep on. Or maybe it's simply they just, um, they feel more alone when the sun goes down. So what I encourage there um, is you can invite your loved ones into your dream. You can, you can, you know, have a prayer that maybe you, you are visited by a dream that makes you, you know, feel like you're with them again. And that dream can be a comforting dream. So in a way, when we're, um, when the night comes, we're potentially closest to our loved one, maybe not farthest from them because we let go of our conscious mind and we can rest from the weariness of grief. Um, and just knowing that our loved ones are beyond our sight, like you know, the stars are on a cloudy night, but they're there. They're always shining there, whether we can see them or not. Always for out of body. Well, when um, when someone has has 
had a traumatic loss in particular, um, you you can physically feel very numb. Um, grief is a whole person experience. It's emotional. It's spiritual. It's physical. I had a mother tell me that when her son died, she literally felt out of body. She knew she was getting dressed and putting her shoes on the right feet, but she almost disassociated. It's um, she. She obviously didn't feel like eating. She felt numb. She was going about her day almost like she was in a dream. And so um, that feeling, I think it's important for people to know that it's um, within the normal spectrum of grieving, not to be um, scared if you're feeling out of body or that life is very surreal um, as you're going about your days in the beginning. And just to be patient and very gentle with yourself and that um, you will start to feel back in your body, certainly taking some good walks, or if you're someone who used to like to exercise, try to gently get back into that and um, and realize that when you reenter your life, you'll you'll find that you feel more, again, you know, that comfort of your loved ones. Well, the P word is partings. Well, I have found this in hospice, that how we leave one another really impacts how we grieve. Um, I believe our loved ones, whether they have died traumatically or gently over the course of a long illness or very suddenly, they they are free from that suffering. They are um, in, you know, in my heart and mind, they are now in the presence of God and in joy. But for those of us who remain, it can be very difficult um, to accept that parting. Um, I've had women tell me, I, I walked into the kitchen, my husband was, had had a heart attack, he was on the kitchen floor, and I, I can't, I can't stop, I can't get that image out of my mind. So I encourage them to not keep placing their loved one there on the kitchen floor, because they're not there anymore. They're, they are free, and so we shouldn't pull them back. Um, and, and certainly this, this, uh, applies to those who've lost their loved ones in a traumatic way, like 9-11 or the um, terrible shooting in Las Vegas. So I encourage people who are grieving not to dwell on how we part necessarily, but again, on the hope of and the joy of meeting again. Um, you know, we can't control those how we part, but we can control how we think about it. Um, and so we we know that, that the, um, the parting sometimes is not sweet sorrow, it's traumatic, but we also have that hope of a of a sweet reunion. Q stands for quilt. Except we've got to take a break. In fact, we've come to the end, and uh, we've run out of time, Andrea. But thanks a million. Uh, the name of the book, The Alphabet of Grief. More after this. <coughs> Excuse me. On the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, 94.9 FM, AM 950, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Thinking about life insurance? What if you could make one free phone call and learn your best price from nearly a dozen highly rated price competitive companies? Well, that's exactly what happens when you call SelectQuote Life. For example, George is 40. He was getting sky-high quotes from other companies because he takes meds to control his blood pressure. But when I shopped around, I found him a 10-year, $500,000 policy for under $25 a month. I'm SelectQuote agent Dan Savino. And believe me, if SelectQuote isn't shopping for your life insurance, you're probably paying too much. For your free quote, call 800-494-2323. That's 800-494-2323. 800-494-2323. Or go to selectquote.com. Since 1985, we shop, you save. Get full details on the example policy at selectquote.com slash commercials. Your price could vary depending on your health issuing company and other factors. Not available in all states. Hi, I'm Barbara Sandbeck, your host on Grace Notes, a 15-minute program that contains biblical teaching and a wide variety of music. Some of the subjects we address are why do we have trials and cultivating intimacy with God. You can listen right here on WTLN every Sunday at 2.45 p.m. Can't catch the whole broadcast? Visit our podcast on the web 24-7 on WTLN.com. So tune in. You won't want to miss it. 
The book of Romans has not only inspired but saved a number of great thinkers and doers throughout history. The author of Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan, was saved by reading Paul's epistle to the Romans. This week on Through the Bible Radio, we'll continue Dr. McGee's study of this powerful and life-changing book. If you're ready to be amazed by God's wonder-working power, then please tune in. Through the Bible, weekdays at 2.30 and 9.30 p.m. on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Andrea Rayner, our guest in that first half hour, talking about her book, The Alphabet of Grief. Uh, Dean Neilwony is with us from Dallas, uh, CEO of the Halftime Institute. Uh, his book is out with Baker Books, Trade Up, How to Move from Just Making Money to Making a Difference. Bob Buford did the foreword. Uh, wonderful to visit with you. Thanks for joining me, Dean. How are you? Thanks for having me, Dean. How are you? Thanks for having me, Pat. Great. Uh, tell me why this book was important and why it's valuable to us. Yeah, it. Uh, I grew up in a small town in northern Wisconsin, and one of my goals at a very young age was that I thought accumulating material possessions and making a lot of money was what I should do to bring me happiness. And I found over the years that there was something missing in my life. And I remember after 23 years in the financial services industry, it was actually in 2006, I was sitting in my office looking out my 40th floor office window thinking I should be the happiest person on earth. I have a beautiful wife, great kids, I'm successful, a good job. And I finally looked out the window and I just said, God, is this all there is? There has to be more to life than this. And what I realized at that point, Pat, is that I was in this season that I now call the smoldering discontent season. And what I've come to realize is now that I've uh, gone through that season and I ended up attending uh, the Halftime Institute, which I'm now the CEO of, uh, I have come to realize that men and women around the world, uh, many are in this season of life that there is something that is missing, that success, material possessions, money, and those types of things don't ultimately bring happiness, that at some point in one's life they're going to get to a point and say to themselves, is this all there is? There has to be more to life than this. And that was really the reason I wrote uh, Trade Up. Trade Up is really a book about my journey, the first few chapters. But then after that, it's what we've learned over 20 years of helping men and women make the transition from success to significance, or as I like to say, from moving from just making money to making a difference. So there's some of our secret sauce, if you will, in this book for people to begin the journey if they are in this season of life. Uh, I think you've given us a nice little look at my journey. Uh, is it time to move to your journey, do you think? Well, I, it, you know, moving from my journey or your journey, it, it's always interesting. I ask three questions that are, are always thought-provoking, and I'll just share those really quick. And the three questions are more around um, business-type questions. So the first question I always ask is, has to do with cost accounting. And the question goes this way, what is all your winning costing you? What is all your winning costing you? It's, it's costing something. So is it costing you your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your children? Is it costing you your faith, your health? I know for me personally, it was costing me my relationship with my spouse and with my kids. I wasn't spending enough time with them. So the first question I always ask is, what is all your winning costing you? Then the second question I like to ask has to do with asset protection, and that is, what do you have that is priceless, and what are you doing to protect it? What is priceless, and what are you doing to protect it? It's really the same idea of what I just mentioned, and that is, is, is your relationship with your spouse priceless? Is your relationship with your children priceless, uh, your faith, your health, uh, I'm sure they are. So what are you doing to actually protect it? And when I went through this process,
process, I came to realize that I wasn't doing anything to protect those relationships. So now I make a point of, of putting my spouse and my kids, their events and our date night on my calendars first. So I do that because I find it priceless. And then the third question has to do with metrics. If you were living a perfect life two years from now, what would that look like? Now, what would you be doing, but what would that look like? And for me, it would be that I would be flourishing in whatever God's calling is on my life, that my wife would be flourishing in her calling, whatever that is, and that my kids would have high self-esteem and that we'd be healthy and so on and so forth. So those three questions are very thought-provoking, and that's what I typically ask to see if someone is ready to go on this journey. Let's... um dive into some specific topics. Um, start with the end in mind. Uh, yeah. That's part of your journey. Tell us about that. Yeah, start with the end in mind is always uh, an interesting question because one of the very first exercises that I did was called the 80th birthday party. And the 80th birthday party exercise goes something like this. It's your 80th birthday today, and you go home, and your spouse or friend invites you to a local restaurant, and 100 of your closest friends and business associates are there, and there's a microphone in front of the room, and they're asked one question to answer, and that is, the greatest impact Dean had on humanity is. And I'll never forget when I went and did that actual exercise and thought about my 80th birthday. And I thought about people walking up to that microphone and answering the question, the greatest impact I had on humanity is I I had no idea what they would say because I wasn't having an impact on humanity at all. I was having an impact on myself. I was spending a lot of time making money and acquiring uh, material possessions, but I wasn't having any impact on others. Around the same time, I ended up attending a funeral for an 80-year-old lady who uh, had 500 people uh, in this room and are at the funeral. And I said to the person next to me, why in the world are there so many people here? And they said, because she built into their life. She cared about those folks. She loved those folks. And she built into them. And Pat, it made me realize at that time, if I died today, what in the world? Who would, first of all, attend my funeral? Would anybody be there? But secondly, what would they say about me? What impact did I leave? What legacy did I leave? What legacy did I leave for my children and for my spouse? So starting with the end in mind allows someone to think of what that day could look like and then work yourself backwards to today and start planning. Now I want you to talk about Open your time and space. That's another part of your journey. Yeah, open your time and space. It, the first thing I'm going to mention is this, that Gallup did a poll uh, not too long ago, and only 20%, one in five people believe that they are doing something that really matters. It's, it's incredible to me that 80% of folks who go to work every day feel what they do doesn't really matter. So... We talk here that if you have no margin, you have no mission. So opening up time and space so you can go do something that really matters is important. And and what's important is to take time and evaluate your schedule. We often talk about building margin around your time, your talent, and your treasure. If you don't have time to go and serve in the area that you're passionate about, you're not going to have any sort of mission. You're not going to be able to go out and make a difference. So it's important to take time to evaluate and look at your calendar. How can I carve time out of my busy schedule to go and serve and do something that really matters? In 2002, when I lived in downtown Chicago, I worked in the financial services industry And I spent all my time at work. And finally, I got to this point of saying, I really do care about homeless men and women. And one of my, um, uh, you know, opportunities was to help homeless men and women put together their 
their resumes so they can go back out and get gainfully employed. But when I started thinking about doing that, I was like, I have no time on my schedule. How am I going to do that? Or, or no space on my schedule. How am I going to do it? So I had to purposely restructure my week in order to carve out two hours on Thursday afternoons to go and serve in the area that I was passionate about. And it's the same methodology when you're looking at your talent and your treasure. Yet treasure has nothing to do necessarily with giving money away. Treasure has more to do with if you're making an adjustment in your life as far as leaving the marketplace and going into a nonprofit. Now, 60% of folks who go through our program here at the Halftime Institute do not do that. They stay right where they're at. But for those who make that transition, they may have to build margin in their finances in order to afford a, a lesser lifestyle. So that is what building margin into your time and uh, time, talent, and treasure is all about. Uh, tell me about Know Your Strengths. Yeah, we don't spend a lot of time, men and women, most of us are type A personalities. We just don't take the time to take a step back and understand ourselves. And it was very eye-opening for me at the very beginning uh, of this journey to do what was called Strength Finders. And many listening to this show probably have heard, has heard, they've heard of Strength Finders. But it was interesting as I, I went through that exercise that God has wired all of us in a certain way. He has wired us with gifts and talents and strengths and passions. And we need to take time to really better understand ourselves. So as I went through strength finders, and I found out what my top five strengths were, I really got a much better idea of what I would enjoy doing on a daily basis going forward. It's interesting that when someone does the strength finders exercise, quite often they find that they are actually trying to do things that they aren't, they don't have strengths in, and it can become very frustrating. And in many cases, it leads to them getting frustrating and quitting whatever they're doing. So understanding your strengths has a lot to do with how are you wired at the core. The other thing that we do here at the Halftime Institute, and I talk about this in Trade Up, is that it's important to understand your, your God-given gifts. So there are certain exercises that you can do to better understand your gifts. So when you take your strengths and you take your God-given gifts, and you put those together and you identify your area of passion, whatever that is. And for everyone, it's different. Passion, I remember one gentleman coming through our program who said, you know what, Dean, I'm not passionate about anything. And I said to him, I want you to read the USA Today for one week and come back to me and tell me what makes you mad, sad, or glad. Mm. And I remember that person coming back to me and saying, it didn't work. It didn't work. All I did was read the sports section, and I said, exactly, that's your passion. And he ended up starting an inner-city ministry for youth in Memphis, Tennessee. So it's just important to really understand your strengths, your gifts, and your passions. How about stating your mission? Yeah, a mission is so important, just like any business. A successful business, when you look at a business, um, most have a very uh, specific mission statement along with a board of directors. And the mission statement really allows a corporation or an individual from that, step, for that standpoint to identify things that they do not want to do. So it helps you when you ultimately define your mission statement. It, it helps you identify what you want to do day in and day out every day but it also allows you to say no to things that may not fit. So when for, for me, for instance, my mission statement has a lot to do with helping and inspiring leaders to identify their God-given calling. And if someone comes to me and says, you know, Dean, uh, I want you to do, do this, and it doesn't fit with that mission statement, it's easy for me to say no. So for just like any good, solid business, it's important for you to have a personal mission statement so you really understand what 
lane you should stay in and what things you can say no to. My guest is Dean Neil Wolney, and we're going to talk more with him after the break. Uh, the name of the book, Trade Up. Uh, this is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Here at The Word, we are proud to welcome to our Sunday morning lineup, Jack Van MP Presents, now Sunday mornings at 8.30. And when it is fought, it will be the bloodiest battle in the history of the world. Armageddon. Start your Sunday with Bible prophecy straight from today's headlines. Join Jack and Rexella for Jack Van Empey Presents. Oh my, oh my, the leader of North Korea is so boastful. Now on your Sunday morning word at 8.30, only on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Forever My Girl is a modern-day prodigal son story. Country music star Liam Page never got over Josie, his one true love he left at the altar. But when he returns to his hometown years later, he's faced with the consequences of all he left behind. Why'd you leave my mama? I was young. I got lost. But you found your way back now, right? Find your way back home in the film NBC Raves will make you laugh, cry, and fall in love. Forever My Girl. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Now playing. Here's some great news. If you missed the deadline to sign up for health insurance, or more importantly, if you signed up for a plan that you're just not happy with, you still have a choice. It's called MediShare. MediShare is a Christian healthcare sharing program that's been around for 25 years, and they have hundreds of thousands of members all across the country. And get this, over the years, MediShare members have shared more than $1 billion of each other's medical bills. Best of all, you could save a lot of money with MediShare. The typical savings for a family is about 500 bucks a month. Your savings could be more or less, but think about what you could do with that extra money. Think you're stuck with a high-cost health plan that doesn't have a lot to offer? Well, think again. You can join MediShare anytime, so call them today and check it out. Here's the number to find out more, and there's no pressure. They're super easy to talk to. 844-41-BIBLE. That's 844-41-BIBLE. 844-41-B-I-B-L-E. This is Dennis McKenzie for Families by Design. Strong families are designed by God. Do you want your family designed by God? For inspirational principles for today's families, listen to Families by Design with your host, Dr. Daniel Forbes and Kevin Picorni. Families by Design airs every Sunday at 9 p.m. That's Families by Design right here, 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Dean Niewolny is with us from Dallas, Texas. We're talking about his book, Trade Up. Dean, we've arrived at part three, the destination. And you tell us to populate your journey, uh, which means what? Yeah, populate your journey means uh, that you want to make sure to surround yourself with others. Do not go on this journey of moving from success to significance or how to move from just making money to making a difference on your own. We have found over the years here at the Halftime Institute that when you go about it on your own, it leads typically to failure or frustration. If you look at any great athlete, if you look at uh, Tiger Woods or you look at Michael Jordan or Phil Nicholson, name the person, they all have a coach. So the first thing that I encourage folks to do is make sure once you go on this journey that you hire a coach who is experienced in this journey. So for instance, at the Halftime Institute, we have halftime certified coaches that have been down this path, that have gone through the program, that have hit the highs and lows of making this transition or identifying their area of passion. And those coaches make sure to hold you accountable and keep you on track. The second thing I encourage folks to do is if there's something that you're passionate about, if it's inner city ministry, if it's the homeless, if it's AIDS, whatever it may be, identify someone who's out there already doing that who could become a mentor that you can sit down with and talk about the highs and lows of going down that path. 
I'll never forget that when I started this journey, I had this burning desire to go work at a church that I was attending. And I had a mentor who worked at that church who said to me, Dean, you're not wired to work here. This is a punch in at 8 o'clock, punch out at 5 o'clock type role. That is not you, Dean. You're much more flexible. Your schedule is much different than that. He said, I think you'll get very frustrated here. So his advice as a mentor to me was critically important. The third thing that's critically important is to identify a personal board of directors, a personal board of directors that you can talk to, that you can bounce things off of, that, that will tell you things that you need to hear, that you may not want to hear, but that are really important and you need to hear them. So I have three or four folks on my personal board that I go to on a consistent basis to ask different types of questions. I have one gentleman who's a youth pastor, so when I have questions regarding my children, I'll go to him. I have a gentle, another gentleman who's a business associate, and I'll go to him as I'm starting to think through what I need to do work-wise. And I have a senior pastor that helps me if I'm having challenges with my spouse. So a personal board of directors and going on this journey with others is critically important. Now I want you to talk about, Dean, uh, pursue solitude with God. Yeah. Yeah, this was a new uh, uh, new experience for me. Uh, I'll never forget it. The very first time I was invited to go and do solitude time, we were going to do solitude for eight hours. I had never done it before. I'm a type A personality, and I love to talk. My, my One of my top gifts is relator, so I like to talk to other people. So when we went out and did eight hours of solitude, uh, it was in this season where I was trying to make as much money as I could, and I was trying to accumulate as many material possessions as I possibly could. And I'll never forget it, Pat. I sat up against a tree. I opened the book, I opened the Bible at the very beginning of the morning, and it opened to Ecclesiastes. And I'll never forget it. I was reading about King Solomon, the wealthiest man in the world that had everything the world could offer. And uh, at the end of the, the chapter, it said, it's meaningless, meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And uh, it was interesting. That was 15 minutes into eight hours of solitude. So I didn't know what to do for the next seven hours and 45 minutes. But nonetheless, it was such a profound experience that I now take time at least monthly to do a day of solitude where I literally go and pray, read my Bible, spend time just listening, being quiet, and just uh, gleaming from the Lord, what does He want me to do as I go forward? Um, at halftime, we talk about two different things, uh, two different journeys, if you will, as you go on this this halftime success of significant um journey, and that is there is the head journey, and the head journey has a lot to do with us making decisions and thinking through what we're going to do. The heart journey has more to do with what is God's plan for the rest of your life? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? What, are, what, what does He want to do with the rest of your life? You know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer in reading the Bible, and in the Bible there is a there's a verse, it's Ephesians 2.10, that says, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works that He has prepared beforehand. And I always find that verse to be powerful. And what I try to do on a consistent basis is spend solitude time, quiet time, where I just listen to the Lord, trying to glean what He wants to do with the rest of my life. Dean, tell me about research network and conduct low-cost probes. What does all that mean? Yeah, well, low-cost probes, research network and low-cost probes, they're, they're pretty similar. And, and low-cost probes have, has to do with once you get clear on what your Ephesians 2.10 calling is or what you feel you're passionate about or what you think you're passionate about, we strongly encourage men and women to not jump in with both feet and do a high-cost probe. And because what typically happens when folks jump in with both feet, if it doesn't work out, they have left a lot of carnage behind them. So we always talk about 
try low-cost probes first. So if there's a passion that you have and you've identified that passion, put your toe in the water. For instance, when I, I had this passion around homeless men and women and helping them put their resumes together, I didn't quit my day job and jump in with both feet at the homeless shelter. I work two hours a week helping men and women try to identify or try, try to help them put their resume together. I realized after a year that I loved doing it, but it truly wasn't my calling. Now, if I would have given up everything I had, my, my day job, if you will, I would have had a difficult time during that season trying to figure out what to do or trying to make an income even. So a low-cost probe has more to do with just putting your toe in the water in some of the areas that you think you're passionate about before you take even a medium-cost probe, which ultimately could be to a, lead to a high-cost probe. The last thing I'll mention on that is even here now uh, as the CEO of the Halftime Institute, when I was still in the financial services arena, uh, I loved what halftime was doing, helping men and women making this transition from success to significance. But I put my toe in the water by hosting an event in Chicago for 22 men and women. And it was simply a 90-minute lunch. But it was a way for me to put my toe in the, in the water. To see, Is this something that I really should be doing? Is this something I'm really passionate about? So, Pat, uh, the long and short of it is uh, low-cost probe is just putting your toe in the water and testing it. Uh, give me 60 seconds in closing, the hardest job you'll ever love. Yeah, well, I think what I learned when I left the marketplace and came into the nonprofit world was I had two friends of mine say to me, Dean, if you think you're going to walk into a nonprofit world and it's all going to be holding hands, singing Kumbaya and praising Jesus all day long. You have another thing coming. And I kind of laughed about that. And he, he also said, if you think you're going to walk in and find everyone's wearing halos and it's all perfect, you're, you're, you're up for you know a rude awakening. And he was absolutely right. I uh, absolutely love at what I do day in and day out. Now it's much different than what I used to do. But it is, it is very challenging because the nonprofit world, you don't have tons of folks lining up at the door saying, hey, I want to come and take an 80% pay cut and come and work work for you, right? Uh, in the nonprofit, mostly in the ministry world, uh, being disciplined uh, is challenging because folks will say, well, this is, this is the ministry. I'm, I'm not supposed to be disciplined. We're supposed to be happy and, and loving each other all day long. And, and I would argue that we're actually called to a higher calling working in the ministry than in the non-ministry. My guest is Dean Nawolny. We've got to wrap up right after this, folks, right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. If you're over the age of 50 and considering buying an annuity in the next 60 days, I have some important news for you. Don't buy an annuity until you understand the pros and cons of annuities. A free book to help you maximize your retirement income from television host and three-time author Josh Melberg has been released. This book reveals little-known truths about annuity strategies in simple-to-understand terms. Grab a pen right now because we are about to offer you this free book that unlocks the five little-known secrets we believe baby boomers and seniors should know before buying an annuity. Call 800-313-3377 now and you'll receive a free copy of Josh Milberg's book, Next Gen Annuity Strategies Revealed. As a bonus, we'll also send you a copy of The Number One Mistakes Retirees Are Making With Their Investments Today and a free DVD on how you can get up to 33% more income in retirement. Call 800-313-3377. That's 800-313-3377. Employees of J.D. Milberg Financial have the appropriate licenses for the products they offer. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Thanks for joining us, folks, on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Andrea Rayner from Rye, New York, talking about her book, The Alphabet of Grief. And then we swung down to Dallas, Texas, where Dean Nywolny was there, uh, author of Trade Up. 
and um, also the CEO of the Halftime Institute. Uh, please visit my website. It's patwilliams.com, the Twitter page, Orlando Magic Pat. And uh, my most recent book is just out. It's called Leading God's Way. Uh, you can go up to Amazon and check it out. We uh, look at leadership principles from some of the great leaders in the Bible, and uh, hopefully you'll enjoy it and uh, be benefited. Uh, have a wonderful day in church tomorrow with your family, and a great week ahead here in Central Florida. And we're back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at the same time where faith comes by hearing. 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 